Media Focus with Paul Blanchard. This week, the BBC. With charter renewal on the horizon, what does the appointment of new culture secretary John Whittingdale mean for the Beeb? Prince Charles's black spider letters. The Guardian's long campaign finally got some of them released. But was this a victory for open government or an invasion of privacy? And Facebook's instant articles. Newspapers have agreed to have their news articles run in full within Facebook, eliminating the need for people to leave the website. Is this good for publishers or is this good for Facebook? And joining us as usual are two of the media's best and brightest. Andrew Dickens is senior reporter at C21 Media and Toby Castle is deputy news editor at BBC News. Media Focus. So first up, John Whittingdale has been appointed Culture Secretary and one of his first jobs is to oversee negotiations on the renewal of the BBC Charter. The former chair of the Culture Committee has previously said that the licence fee is worse than the poll tax and his appointment has been called a declaration of war on the corporation. Toby, should the BBC be worried and what do you think your next move should be? Hmm... This is one of those topics that is fraught with difficulty as a BBC insider um, on the record being (laughs) quoted. Um, Just pretend the microphones aren't here. Exactly. You've you've got me on 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 a very, very hot topic. I mean, clearly it is something that has been written a lot about and clearly his appointment um, has been noted by many, um, mainly because of the Culture, Media and Sports uh, Select Committee's report into the future of the BBC. That, that, that I think, is, is, is out there, is fact, is on the record. I think what we can't tell yet is what John Whittingdale is going to be like as Culture Secretary. And I think my, my short answer, um, and something that I might say within my pay grade, um, is let's see uh, what he does as Culture Secretary. The point I think that a lot of people have already made, and I would absolutely support, is it's it's pretty good, actually, to have a culture secretary that knows a lot about the beat. You know, often, um, without picking out individuals over the years, but often we have had people in that role who have had no experience. That knows, have a clue. It doesn't, doesn't really know, know what is going on. Now, obviously, John Whittingdale um, has got a wide and lengthy experience in the area. And so I think, you know, everybody within the BBC is of the opinion... Let's just get on with our job. Let's continue to try and serve our audiences in the best way that we possibly can. From my point of view, let's try and, you know, tell the stories in the most interesting and engaging way, all of those things, and let somebody else have that fear about what what next. Um, I mean, the report on the BBC is out there you know you can go and you know read it online and and I'm sure many people have gone and and sought that out and 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 gone and read it and you know I think that that he is a supporter of the BBC whatever has been written about him declaring war you know the the future of the license fee the charter renewal is something clearly that is massively on, on the agenda but is not something I think that is going to be solved Perhaps in this is a personal view in the next charter renewal. I think we, you know, it's going to be a very, very long game. Um, and let's see. And perhaps some of those those headlines about the way that John Whittingdale is going to at what he's going to do. You know, the reality can be very, very different. I should declare an interest at this point. John is an acquaintance of mine. I have bought him dinner from time to time, but I don't know his uh, his mind on this. What he has said publicly, of course, is that he thinks the licence fee is a, akin to a poll tax. I mean, that's not a good start, as I'm sure you'd agree. I question whether personal views um, that, you know, I haven't seen where those quotes come from. I've seen them in the papers. I'm saying, look at the introduction with his signature on the bottom of the latest 
culture, media, and sport future of the BBC and judge him on on what's out there and on the record. And I'm sure he is in the department. I mean, it was interesting. You know, Diane Coyle in the Media Guardian this morning was pretty strong on the pragmatic approach that a lot of politicians, I'm sure, will end up taking. And you know, I think. Let's see what happens. Do you think this is, uh, just before we go to Andrew on this, do you think this is something that politicians always flirt with, the idea of BBC licence fee reform, and it just never quite gets done? Because although it's not ideal, it's the least worst of all of the options. Of the views that have, have been expressed about where politicians sit on the BBC, I would say if I was a politician, which I am not, but if I was on the other, 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 other side, as it were, I would want there to be a strong BBC I would want there to be a BBC that challenges, that asks questions, that that is that is a strong BBC. And bluntly, I think that 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 it would be a you know a lesser place. Now you might say, oh well, you would say that because you're BBC inside, you're BBC employee, and all of those things. Well, you know, that's because yeah, I see it from the inside. Um, and I think there's a lot coming out of the BBC in the news area, which is obviously where I where I am, which we can be incredibly proud of. Andrew, what do you think? Well, Toby Banks, uh, a few valid points there. Uh, um, but I, I, from people I interview in my day-to-day job, uh, particularly in the TV drama side, I think there is a there is a genuine fear of what what's going to happen at the BBC. Uh, there's a worry for production staff as well, and, and writers and creators as, as well as that. And I, I mean, I was interviewing um, Queer as Folk uh, creator Russell T Davis a few few months ago, and he was saying to me that. The nature of the BBC is that there's people slogging their guts out, budgets are tight, people are working too hard. It's, it's a tough time, and I know Ben Stevenson recently, you know, he's, he's the drama commissioner at the BBC, he, he's going to America now, but he sort of uh, bowed out by saying that um, the licence fee needs to in- be increased and it won't be able to survive much longer, it's a tipping point. So, you know, there are, there are some concerns there. But like, like Toby says, um, John's coming in. And, you know, while he's known as someone that in the past might have said on the record some, some anti-BBC remarks, I think because of his experience in that in that sector, this could be a very transparent charter renewal process. And um, I think let's just give him a bit of time before he's sort of writing the whole, the whole BBC off at this stage. Do you not think, though, I mean, one of the criticisms often levelled at the BBC, sometimes despite budgets being tight, they often over-resource things. I mean, when I used to work at Parliament, you'd see that on a political report, you know, there'd be Sky News there with a cameraman and one producer, and then there'd be the BBC waiting to interview them, and there'd be like eight people milling around the camera. Do you think that that's an unfair criticism, or do you think that they're just simply, because they've got all those billions coming in, they can just spend money? It's not their money, is it? There's no commercial reality to it. It's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to, to answer that because uh, there are so many uh, elements to the BBC and, and production, so it's difficult to single out one area that needs more resources over another. But I think, you know, I, all I can speak is from people I speak to every day, there, there, are, there are concerns. And, um, you know, I think for, for the future of TV drama, which is an area I work in uh, specifically, like a show like Ripper Street that was, that was axed by the BBC the other year over budget concerns, um, that went to Amazon. Uh, which is a VOD service. Now, now things like that, that 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 could happen down the line more and more. BBC could enter co-productions uh, on on dramas or, or, or factual series that it wouldn't normally have done so in the past. So, could that think, be a good thing? I mean, just absolutely. playing devil's advocate here. Could, well, yeah, but it, it could be a good thing down the line. I mean, it could it could completely change the whole way that the, the nature of the BBC program goes forward in the in the future. But 
the point is that it is changing and i think the consequences of this are going to be uh, it's not just about staff it's not just about the politics but it's about the, the content as well but andrew the bbc's funded in a unique way the um the poll tax if you can call it that as john might have done in the past in terms of the license fee does bring many advantages insofar as that they criticize themselves as that openness but do you not think that, that the dominance of the bbc might affect some commercial competitors sometimes that, that a commercial entity might want to enter a market and because the bbc are already doing it and doing it quite well uh, and, and indeed in a well-resourced way, that, that might stifle, uh, you know, a business's ability to compete. Perhaps. I mean, but I think the BBC is a lot more open now than, than it used to be in, in that area. I mean, they're, they're teaming up, like BBC Worldwide's teaming up with more and more uh, commercial broadcasters, production companies, internationally and domestically now. So maybe so, but I mean, no, I don't, I don't see that being a problem too much for them. What do you think of the other funding methods available? I mean, there is the licence fee, but there are, there's perpetual talk, isn't there, of, of a subscription-based service or opt-in, you know, cafeteria BBC, I've heard, where you pick and choose the bits that you want as if you stood in a cafeteria queue. Do you think it's a bit like a tapestry, that if you pull on any one of these strings, the whole thing will unravel and that really we either accept that we have to have a licence fee or not? Well, I know this subscription sort of uh, BBC fee has been talked about quite a lot. Um my concern would be that doesn't that undermine the whole idea of the PBC that you know that you could pick and choose some some parts that you'd like to pay for and others that you don't, um, and, and that that in turn will make it a more commercial entity. You know, if they're trying to they'll, they'll be trying to make profits in one area over another area to make up for for losses they made uh, where people aren't subscribing. So it's it's perhaps a slippery slope. But I can see can see the advantages of that. I mean, if you look at um, what RTE does in Ireland, for example, that's a public broadcaster as well, right? Albeit in a smaller market, so it's very very difficult to compare. But they also have advertising on top of a of a, of a fee as well. I mean, that might not go down well at all. Here. I can never see that happening. But you know, that is one option they have they have down the line. And as Toby said, this is a this is a could be a twenty year process. I mean, I. I don't think this is going to happen over the next 10 years, but in 20 years there could be a really dramatic shift that, that we'll see. Can I just come back on you about about one thing? Because I, I feel that I'm relatively um, you know, well-placed to make a comment about, about staffing and resources, because this is a constant gripe. And I did I'll, preface it saying it was a lazy criticism. Well, <laughs> the, the, the point is, is, is I've changed my tune because of Head of Home News, ITV News... I I would sit there and um, and whinge and gripe about the profligacy of the BBC and the, the you know that that was an, a you know a view. I've sat in the pub many a night where other producers <laughs> of other networks have yeah. done the same whinge. I now, from inside, have a very different view, and I would say that if you are a correspondent um, on a hot story, so you either either got something that nobody else has got, an exclusive or a, a report or an investigation or something that is hot, that people want. When I say people, I mean output. BBC News output want a bit of you. Mm. You, as an individual, need support. And, you know, I can reel off the outlets that correspondents, editors, reporters that I've worked with on getting news reports out across, you know, having to do something for the AM bulletins that you wake up to on the Today programme. They might be called in to do a Today programme two-way. Mm. They might then be doing a report for the Victoria Derbyshire show, for example, on channel on the news channel and on, on, on BBC Two. They'll then be doing something for the one o'clock news. There's then a potential that they're doing something else for Watto. 
There's then something possibly studio spot for PM. Then they might be doing 1800. And that misses out five live, of course, because you could be on that multiple times. And you could be on that. So in terms of delivering for outputs, you know, at ITV News, we were thinking about the 1.30, the 6.30 and the 10 o'clock news. That was it. And so, you know, I think that, you know, the resourcing issue across all those outlets, every news gathering decision that is made... You know, there is that, well, are we sending too many people? Is this too too much for that, that thing? And and that is right. You know, we should be, you know, making a, a, a decision about... If the job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. But at the same time, if you are flicking on and listening to, you know, you, you listen to the one o'clock news, but you're also a consumer of, of Radio 4, and you hear a television package on radio, that doesn't work. That that is not a product um, at the highest, uh, the, you know, at the highest level, and therefore, you know, I think in order to continue to be able to produce that, that kind of high quality journalism, then there is a reality which is we do need to resource it properly. Now, that's not to say that at times we need to be thinking about well, do we need to send X, Y, X, Y, and Z? But you know, those considerations and those decisions, which is why, you know, I do feel that I have changed my tune, but I do feel now that I'm a lot better informed from the inside than, than, than from out. I mean, I'm personally a supporter of the licence fee, and I think one of the strongest arguments for me is is the unique editorial independence that it gives the BBC. I mean, no-one likes kicking the BBC more than the BBC itself. And, you know, I've had Torin Douglas in the studio. Uh, you know, you see him during all of the various crises, and he would stand outside NBH or, or, or television centre, as it was, and kind of slag off his employers, saying they're in crisis and everything, and they never interfered once. Look at what David's doing now. For me, it's quite a complex argument for the licence fee, which I'm not sure the public get, but I think that independence of editorial integrity is very important, because you wouldn't see... ITN News criticising its own chief executive and board. You wouldn't see Sky News criticising Rupert Murdoch. And for me, you know, when the BBC has been in many crises, it's the BBC you turn to for impartial coverage. I mean, that that must be one of the highest compliments anyone can pay you. Yeah, I mean, that that's, uh, you know, the, the Top Gear row was obviously the, the, the first sort of big one um, to affect... BBC and and yeah you know every day David Silito is outside the outside the building reporting on the on the latest uh, you know the latest movements and machinations of that yeah no it's 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 but very interesting being on you know on the on the inside when those things and yeah you're right about editorial independence and impartiality and balance and all of those things which are at the absolute very heart of what the BBC is about you know it is um, a model that globally you know we are we are held up. Um, and yeah, you know that is something that I think you know everybody within the BBC is proud of. It, it must be a challenge to you in terms of your news values when you're making the editorial judgment every day as to how strong a story may or may not be. When many stories, good and bad, involve the BBC. I mean, for example, when you know Doctor Who was recommissioned, that's a news story, but it's the BBC. Is it quite tough to decide that that's the fourth most important story on the BBC News, or is there a slight nickling feeling in in the back of you that BBC PR want that to be the, the splash? How does it work? It's this wonderful thing. If if I suppose if I could uh, if I could bottle or um, or write a paper that was about how news decisions are made, yeah. you know how editorial decisions are made. Everyone is different. Everything is taken on the day, the value. You know, if you if you you know you ever get you know to talk to people in PR, and you know it's that classic question about you know how do I make my my story lead the news? Often 
it is a game of, of absolute chance, of luck, of what else is on, what else is on. You know, how is one story uh, on one day the lead story, but an almost identical story isn't? Um, I always tell my clients that, that we're adrift on the sea of news. Because you just don't know what what could be a splash one day could well, could be a nib I'll, I'll the next you, day. I'll give you a, a very personal example. I've been working with um, the Home Affairs and Security team on a, a database of British jihadis, which is an online product. It's an online news story and also news resource, but a data journalism where we've pull together every British jihadi that has travelled to Syria in one place. So there are biographies, photographs, and these are people that have either been arrested or killed, um, you know, or family members have confirmed that they're out there. You know, a big body of work mm. and, you know, quite a lot of difficult legal and, you know, editorial, you know, decisions to make. Lot of work, you know, the online team working absolutely in conjunction with the, um, you know, with the editorial team, with Gordon Carrera um, and, and, and all of those people. Uh, and well, journalists potentially putting themselves in harm's well, way. We get that ready to roll, you know, and, and in this way of making sure maximum impact across all outlets. Gets on the Today programme. Gordon does a report on the Today programme about it. We were able to put a figure on it that we could confirm as the BBC of this number. And it worked. One o'clock news took it, television. He went in and did the Watto Live. That afternoon it was confirmed that the co-pilot in the German Wings plane had crashed it into the ground. That story disappeared mm. off the news agendas because... Your own story. What do you do? You, 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 you shrug your shoulders... Because, you know, whilst tragic and, you know, deeply um, horrific, you know, the German wing story is a really, really good story Mm. and therefore is going to be running high. And if you as a programme maker, you know, an output editor, are putting together your running orders, you know, the jihad story, I'm sorry, is going to drop away. Yes, it's featured and it's still there and we're actually working on a on a refresh and getting it out there again you know perhaps even this week but those those that's the reality so i think i think when it comes to going back to bbc stories within the bbc it's taken absolutely as if it was any other story mm. about any other single organization i don't think there is a an inter you know an inherent we've got to go harder on this because you know that's ridiculous mm. you know it's got to be on the merit of the, of, the, of the story. Andrew, just before we move on to the next discussion topic, just finally on this, what do you think will happen? Do you think it will be the classic fudge where the, the Secretary of State will beat his chest and demand you know more value for the licence fee payer and if, uh, the BBC will shed a few middle managers and then we'll all move on and discuss this again in five years from now? Or? Well, yeah, I think it'll be a, it's going to be a very long process, as Toby said. I think it's, it's a real 20-year plan that's going to be in place. Um, it's, it's going to be a wait and see thing. I mean, let's not judge John Whittingdale on, on, on his on his views of the past. Um, I know he's got also got close links to News Corp as well, the Murdochs. So forget all that. Let's see let's see where it goes. And um, you know, twenty years, I think that'll be when it's all all discussed and sorted out. And we could, you know, have a subscription model. We we could have all sorts of things, but it's it's too early to say, really. We shall see. So next up, The Guardian has campaigned relentlessly for five years and finally they won. The Supreme Court ordered the release of the so-called Black Spider memos. Prince Charles is heir to the throne and no one had a clue what was in his letters to government ministers. There could have been bombshell revelations and perhaps even a constitutional crisis. And yet, a damp squib. They were a bit rambling and if anything they were notable for their lack of scoops. The Sun even said The Guardian had won a hollow victory. Toby, is this an invasion of privacy or do we have the right to know what is on the mind of the heir to the throne? Well, the fact that I think £400,000 worth of um, public money, 
you know, might suggest that somebody thought that it shouldn't come out. That was the tantalising bit, wasn't it? They really um, didn't want these yeah. letters out. And so, therefore, I think your, you know, your 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 point that the question is whether this is, you know, a damp squib. I think is, is something that's been written about. There's a, there's a simple fact: most media organisations followed up on it. Therefore, there was clearly a story in it. I think a number of organisations, BBC included, went for the stuff that he wrote about. The Iraq helicopters. I think you know there's a, there's a narrative, isn't there, being written, which is the meddlesome prince getting involved, and, and you know the fact that it's called you know spider spider letters. <laughs> you know it's like these angry letters. When we actually got them, the the content perhaps it, didn't reflect the excitement that we had previously when we couldn't. It reminded see them. me of letters to the Daily Telegraph almost. <laughs> and and you know the fact that they weren't spider handwriting, you know, the mm. fact that they were all t- typed, you know, very nicely quite neatly and quite politely. And I think there was, you know, hundreds of journalists across um across the landscape um on Google trying to find out what a Patagonian toothfish was and all of that <laughs> kind of stuff. But forget all that. I think, you know, in, you asked is it invasion of of privacy? I think, you know, there is a a real constitutional implication about whether the heir to the throne is lobbying elected government ministers of the crown. And and therefore, I think there is a matter of public interest for us to see what he was doing and what he was saying. The fact is, when we eventually saw it, there was this kind of a, a collective, is that it? Mm. Um, now, that's not to under undermine the efforts that were put in both to try and get them to be published and also to keep them secret. But playing devil's advocate here, because I actually agree with you, but why why are we so quick to dismiss the fact that Charles does have the right to privacy? I mean, he's the heir to the throne. He's going to become king soon. Surely he ought to be able to discuss his concerns in confidence with ministers because if both parties think that their correspondence is subsequently going to be disclosed then neither party is going to be open with one another are they and that unwarranted intrusion into the functioning of democratic government and the fact that the heir to the throne has written some letters is exactly the arguments that were being played out by qcs and barristers trying to to argue each each side of it and that's the nub of the argument isn't it is it on the one hand you know, perfectly proper that we should be allowed to see what he is writing or should that be kept private for the very nature of that relationship that needs to be between the future king of this country and the government that he will, you know, he will inevitably be working with. And I think you could argue it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, mm-hmm. you know, putting my, you know, riding that line going, oh, well, it could be played, played either way. I think... We're probably, um, without thinking about it, sort of, um, you know, we're thinking, well, they weren't exactly sensational, were they? Was it all worth it? But they could have been. They could have been, yeah, absolutely. And um, my point is, it, it was there were quite a large number of them. I know it was ten that, that were revealed, but you know, that that's quite a lot over over that space of time. And ministers um, are busy people. So is Charles. But the, the sheer amount. You've got to look at the public, and and they they're thinking he's meddling. He's meddling, you know. And it reminds me of I don't know if you've seen like how the original UK version of House of Cards. Oh, Sorry yeah. to go back to TV, but the second series is called To Play the King, and it's, brilliant. It's, it's, it, second series two of that was brilliant. It was fantastic, wasn't it? Because the King was basically Charles. It was, it was it, a character based on Charles, and Michael Kitchen played him, who's in Fall's War. Um, but that that 
took it a, a bit too extreme, really, where he was getting involved in everything social issues, but and obviously it was a damn good that we saw, but... Isn't there an argument to say, Andrew, that if he if he's into... I mean, I oppose him on homeopathy, for example, I don't agree with that, but I have a right to challenge my MP on what she does or doesn't support. With Charles, it's, it's not so much about the issue, it's about democratic legitimacy. I mean, he has no... If he wants to have a view on homeopathy, surely he should stand for Parliament and give up the right to the throne. W- would you agree? Uh, it depends. I think your, your view depends very much on what if you agree with what he's saying, he, w- he was championing the rights of farmers. You know, if you're a farmer, you think, well, he's, he's really stood up for us, he's done a wonderful job, you know, how he's got out there. But, you know, I think the anti-royalists will look at this and it's, it adds fuel to their fire and uh, they're only going to see him as meddling, really. So I think the debate will go on, really. This, this hasn't been settled. And I, yeah, I think if you, well, if you just take... You, you stop, you know, we, we've also the meddling prince, but if you say the lobbying prince, mm. you know, mm. he's he's effectively... The act, most powerful lobbyist. A lobby group. Yeah, 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 exactly. A lob- exactly that. That's, that's what struck me. And I think what also struck me was the fact that he recognised that this could be a freedom of information question. There's this wonderful, <laughs> yes, wonderful yes. little note going, you know, this might, you know, this would be very interesting if this comes out with the, you know, uh, under a freedom of information request. And, and I think one of the more interesting things about it, whether right, wrong, interesting, not interesting, sensational not sensational all of that i'm i'm interested because i don't think we will see any more of these mm. well um, we've already legislated and, to make and, sure and, and, and that's the point you know we are um we've we've had a little you know they've lifted up the the, the curtain and you know they've opened the curtain a little bit they've shown a bit us, of leg allowed mm. us to see to to and you know it's it's not that bad Unless the really bad ones are actually, you know, unless that was a, a side show, as it were, a diversion. Yes. Maybe the, the next letter, the one that's banned, says that aliens do exist and they are hidden in Roswell and we'll never know, will we? But, but to, to play uh, devil's advocate, as it were, I mean, I was struck by Dennis McShane on the Today programme when it, before they were released on the day because he basically said it was, you know, he used to get letters when he was a minister and it was a bit like a, you know, polite uncle asking you about who your mortgage provider was or whatever, where he said, look, you just, you answer the question and you nod, but when it actually comes to you, on decisions you you, you you took them with a pinch of salt the whole um you know the branding of prince charles and the 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 pr around him is is absolutely fascinating you know one of the images um that we had on the day that these came out were obviously his new pr chief mm. um you know a grappling michael, michael, Crick, 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 yeah, mi- yeah. microphone great telly. um I mean, great telly, but you know, didn't really add anything to the sum of sum of human knowledge. But she but, shouldn't have done but, that. But, really, but shows that you know, it, well, it's one of those clips that yeah. will be used in in you know how to train a PR advisor exactly. in, 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 in exactly what not what, what what not to do. But clearly, you know, projecting Prince Charles out there and preparing the ground for you know him becoming king. Um, I think this will be you know a a chapter. In, in, when we look back in this period of of the preparation, because actually, you know, as we talked about, you know, the the, the stuff about the Iraq helicopters, which a number of them telegraphs splashed on it. Mm. It was the lead line on the BBC report that night. I know that ITV News also went 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 on that that evening. That reflected very well on him, because that was a view from the father of somebody. Um, who has two sons in the military, you know, helicopters involved in, you know, that they were tra- training. I thought that was very an, an interesting intervention from the heir to the throne. And that, to me, shed quite a lot of light, you know, and whether it's sensational or not, I just thought that was quite fascinating and quite interesting. And uh, bluntly, I think it's played very well for him um, when it was, you know, 
the Patagonian toothfish stuff mm. and the homeopathy uh, didn't exactly punch through in terms of the coverage. Did these did these letters really reveal anything new? Though I mean, we, we've known that Charles. Go back to the seventies, the eighties. He was, you know, he was always he was talking about. He, he always opposed modern architecture and all sorts of things. So, really, it's I don't no think, bombshells, is there? Well, not really, and I don't think this is this is going to change. If if anything, it's made him look a slight little bit silly with with the, with the fish stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, um, I don't think people learnt too much out of this, and maybe more was made out of it. And I think it was romanticised more because they were letters and not emails. Mm. And it's a great advert for the letter, isn't it? Toby, final question. Do you feel a bit sorry for Prince Charles? Because, I mean, he clearly wants to play an active part in the civic space and, and, and in the country. Do you, although he does have some influence and clearly the Prime Minister will read his letters, do you think he wants to be Prime Minister but knows he can't due to an accident of birth? Maybe he actually laments the day that he, he, he is heir to the throne because he actually would love to be an MP and then be Prime Minister and then he'd be, have a total power and, of course, he can never have that. His power is always going to be limited to a, the Prime Minister seeing him but almost giving him a, a kind of polite nod. Also, to play devil's advocate, could you could you put yourselves yourself in his shoes, where he is basically being, you know, his whole life is being mapped out about preparing himself to be the king. You know, regardless of where you sit on it, mm. I think the preparation of Prince Charles in the aftermath of Diana yeah. is absolutely fascinating. The rehabilitation of his image and the fact that actually, you know, people have taken Camilla. To their, you know, not necessarily to their heart, but they're not going to throw rotten eggs at her. No, um, I think is is, an, is a really interesting thing, and uh, you know, obviously coming from ITV, you know, there's a slightly different audience, shall we say, to some of the ways that we do, you know, we did raw reporting and the raw reporting at the BBC and so. On. But the images of of the two of them when they go on their raw tours, and you may have criticism about, you know. Is that the best way to spend our money? And, you know, does that really project Britain abroad and all this? But they're bloody good pictures. You know, they really are fun, you know. And he is, I think, settling into his skin and, and getting ready. I, mean, it's, I think it's all really fascinating. Would you say there's any merit at all in, in some of the Republicans' criticism of the BBC's coverage of the Royals, that it is slightly too deferential? Look, I don't think it is. I, I mean, mean you, you obviously spent all those years at ITN. You've come to the BBC. Did someone send you a memo to say, go easy on Charles Gough? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, I think that the, you know, you look at the take-up of um, the stories that are written, the online take-up, for example, you know, there is still a massive audience interest. Um, now, the question is, is whether the BBC audience expects something different from the ITV audience, I would say that as audiences get older, there is a degree of of interest. There is real interest. If if you take the 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 level of coverage of the raw baby of Princess Charlotte's birth, I think you would say that that the editorial direction is is virtually the same. So last up, the BBC and The Guardian, among others, have joined a new Facebook initiative called Instant Articles, which will see full-length news stories run directly in users' feeds, eliminating the need for people to click through to external websites. The publishers defended their decision to join, saying they have to go where the audience is, and that's increasingly on social networks. But some critics call the deal a Faustian bargain, saying that websites will now hemorrhage their visitors to Facebook, and yet must now give them all of their content. Toby, what do you make of this? Is this Turkey's voting for Christmas, or is this Turkey's wisely leveraging Christmas to mitigate an overall deceleration of the turkey slaughter rate? Well, <laughs> who's the turkey? That's the question. I don't know. Um, 
I think. Look, I'll 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 start with the with the formal bit um, and just a bit of uh, a bit of background um, to why the BBC has got has got involved. I think it's a trial. I think that's that's something I want to be you know very very clear. Um, and that at the moment it's um, a trial with Newsbeat only. So these are only stories via the Newsbeat brand mm. and the Newsbeat um, product. Why Newsbeat? Why Facebook? Well, you know, we want to engage with our audience. Absolutely. I think that's just a reality. And ultimately, and that's you, where go, they are. you go with your, where your audience is. And if you see what other things Newsbeat are using, you know, they are using Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter. And I think when the audiences are consuming on other platforms, then you have to necessarily go. Um, where they are. I know a lot has been said, um, and there's been quite a lot of criticism online about why the BBC is getting involved in this because of ads and advertising mm. and all that. I think, again, you know, just to be absolutely clear, the BBC are not collecting advertising through this and that none of the... No, Facebook will be collecting the advertising and the money. Well, yeah, but as I understand it, we're obviously not accepting any income. No. And therefore, the in the UK, there will not be any advertising on the BBC Newsbeat story feed. So there has been a there has been an agreement in that. So that's very much about the BBC wanting to go where the audiences are. Do you think the argument is that these these youngsters aren't going to leave Facebook anyway, so you might as well bring Newsbeat to them, because if you're going to rely on them coming to the Radio 1 website, they ain't going to come, and you're just accepting the pragmatic reality of that? I think let's see. You know, let's see. It's a trial. Let's see where the numbers go, because ultimately it's about delivering the best possible content to the most number of you know, audience members. And if, that, if, if they're getting their BBC Newsbeat content via Facebook, then great. If they like what they see on Facebook, then we would absolutely hope that they would then migrate across and use you know, other platforms to consume Newsbeat, whether that be you know, online. I think look, there's got to be an acceptance that we need to be trialling whatever is out there and seeing whether it's whether it works or it, or or it doesn't work and and that's that's got to be i think a good thing just getting do you, do you worry about being a clash of editorial standards between yourself and facebook down the line i mean this this could change the whole process of how how your content is edited though right no because ultimately we will still be publishing the same number of stories on the same editorial basis it's then up you know in the in the the magic <laughs> because i Frankly, if you want me to explain how mm. this all works, then you know I'm not the expert, and you know I'm not I'm I'm not. I'm not sure that was Andrew's criticism. I mean, no one was no one suggested no, 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 Facebook would but, edit the article, but Facebook's algorithm might decide what articles are going to be shown. No, but but ultimately, those are the articles that an individual might find on the Newsbeat website. The, the way the algorithm, as I understand mm. it, works is the more times that it's been consumed, then it's more likely to be popping up into mm. people's feeds. Um, and if you've read a story about a certain topic, then that will then potentially pop up into your feed. Mm. And, and, and therefore, you know, we're very happy with the offer on Newsbeat and therefore whatever goes on, on Facebook. I don't think editorially it will still be the stories that we're doing. It's just that they choose 
which ones go into somebody's feed without them clicking through. But Andrew, do you not think, let's say that you're the uh, head of digital at The Guardian, you're putting all this effort into getting clicks, and there's all your reporters giving away their articles to Facebook, and, you've, and you're going to see a, a huge loss in visits, and yet you're having to give away the actual content that would have drawn them to your site to Facebook. They're going to get all the clicks and all the adverts. Yeah, but as Toby said, you, you've got to go where your, your audience is, right? And uh, if your audience is on Facebook... Um, so be it. I think they're really going to have to have to push that. As not just the Guardian. I think there's NBC News, and, and there's, there's, there's quite a few. There's quite a few. So, no, I, I don't think that's going to be a problem down the line. I think they're really going to have to have to push that. Where do you consume your news? All all over the place. And Facebook is is possibly the one of the places I I consume it the most. This is a great move for Facebook because they can they can. You know, there's been a concern that a lot of their readership is, or viewership has been going to uh, to BuzzFeed, to Vine, to Instagram. So I think this is really going to put them back at the front of the race now to uh, for the next five years. It really consolidates and keeps all their all their readers in one place. Good move for Facebook then, don't we? Well, I th- I th- you know, I think ultimately we might have all moved on. What's the thing that, you know, everybody's talking about Twitter, 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 everybody's going on and on and on about Twitter and people don't really think about Facebook. If you look at the stats, I'm not going to read them off, but you look at the stats for, you know, BBC News online and and the consumption via the various methods of promotion, because that's ultimately what what the what they what they are they're about promoting your content mm. and so ultimately if somebody's seeing it through a facebook instant post they're still consuming your content they're still understanding that that's you know a branded content for example in this case from bbc a bbc newsbeat report and therefore the hope is that they will like what they see and then they'll search out they'll search out somewhere else or they'll say to their friend oh i've seen this on my feed and they send a link but isn't there the risk though that because they know that facebook will already give them what they want to see that they don't go to the newsbeat website they just wait for facebook to carry on delivering quality newsbeat articles i mean we, we had the editor of uh, buzzfeed on here last week and he was saying that um, you know no one goes to the buzzfeed website it's all done via facebook and twitter which you know so there is some merit in that but on the other hand that means they're not going to the buzzfeed website they don't have that ability to curate you know what they want their readers to see all they have is what facebook's algorithm decides other people are liking in that moment and delivering that that one-off link to that article let's let's see how it goes i mean i'm (laughs) I'm, i didn't you know i'm i'm not involved closely with it i just think it's 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 yet again you know when there's a new product out there which is successful i mean what i was the point i was trying to make about facebook is that the media world may have moved on in their minds but actually facebook is still absolutely huge Mm. and the power um that facebook wields with the number of people that are using it is incredible and you know yes you might find 10 articles online about the death of facebook but actually it is still an enormous player out there in terms of social media and and therefore it's something that I think it's absolutely right for the BBC to engage with them um, in, in whatever product they're doing, just like we would with Twitter, with Snapchat. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine who, who works in, in on online products and, um, you know, he's at the absolute cutting edge. But, you know, I said to him, three months ago, anybody, even in, you know, most newsrooms, even most digital newsrooms, what is Periscope? People would go, would like, what Periscope? Mm. Yeah, it's that thing on a submarine. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the the idea that absolutely took off during the election campaign, where you have correspondents live periscoping from 
battle buses. You've got, you know, Kay Burley live periscoping Tim Ewer and, you know, others live periscoping. You've got, you know, Lucy Manning periscoping from outside Labour HQ on the morning waiting mm-hmm. for Ed Miliband in a way that we would have we would have laughed that, that you would be using your mobile phone, the 4G network and live live broadcasting. That's how fast these products are are working their way through. And the question is, is you know, their longevity and so on. Well, Facebook's not going away, is it? Yes, well, I'll just jump in here. Is there a sort of uh, fear here that if the other websites will suffer if they if they don't get on board? I mean, I know there's nine trialists at the moment, but um, if one, uh, ind- say the independent news websites, decide not to, to get on board, are they going to be left behind? If this really takes off, you know, local news, what, what's, what's the future hold for that? I mean, that... There are questions around this, and I, you know, local news sites struggle enough. I don't know how this is going to play out, really. It's a fair point, and uh, we've actually run out of metaphorical tape there, gentlemen, so we're, oh. we're going to have to just wait and see how the future holds, and we'll uh, clearly watch events with interest. Andrew, how do people follow you on Twitter? Tell us about how do people kind of follow your work? What This is the, your point where you, you mentioned your website, etc., etc. You can follow our, webs- our work on www.c21media.net and we, uh, we cover the entire international TV content business uh, covering trade markets all over the world. So that's the best way. And if you want to follow me, I am on at Andy Dickens 1987, which was the year I was born. I now hate you for being so young <laughs> and having so, so, so much vitality. Toby, how do people uh, follow you on Twitter and, and what's your blog? How do, do you have a website? Uh, yeah, so Twitter's probably the best. At Toby Castle um, is is where you'll find me. Um, lots of um, boring cycling tweets, but also um, quite a bit of BBC pluggery as well. Of those that want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Paul W.R. Blanchard. You can also go to mediafocus.org.uk, where you can leave your email address in the box and receive a shiny automatic email once a fortnight, letting you know when the new podcast is out. But that's it. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'm Paul Blanchard. The associate producer was Jordan Greenway. Catch you next time. A Big Things Media Production. This is-